0: Nicolas Arenas is currently a research student at the Department of Sociology at the London School of Economics. His key expertise includes culture, economic sociology, the body and emotions, marketing, and rationality. Being originally from Chile, he has authored two publications, both in Spanish. His doctoral thesis is titled, Mediating the Non-Rational, Branding Consultants and the Role of Emotions in Marketing. This aims to explore the connections between emotions, culture, and the economy within the framework of marketing practices, and that's what we'll be speaking about today on this episode. Uh, Hello, Nicholas. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. So before we get into the podcast itself, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and your interest in sociology and uh, marketing as areas of research?
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, I can start mentioning that I'm doing my PhD in sociology. Before that, I I did my master in cultural studies uh, at the London School of Economics. I'm studying in the same university right now. Um, yeah, and I'm just finishing the first year. But anyway, I've been studying uh, marketing, and particularly advertising, since I was in my undergrad. So um, I feel already quite familiar to these topics, and um, and I would say that my current research is a kind of continuation of the project, the research project that I started during my undergrad. So I've been I've been trying to be very coherent at the time of. Uh, designing my different research projects for each uh, different academic instance. I mean, my undergrad, my master, and my PhD. All of them are related to market to the style of marketing practices from a sociological perspective. So yeah, I live in London, um, and I'm, and currently my research project focused on the on branding consultants. I'm not working focusing particularly on advertising anymore since I. Realize that there are a lot of work that has been done around advertising already from social sciences. Um, and in that sense, I feel that branding is a, new, a kind of a new topic that haven't, that haven't been addressed in the, in the same way as advertising. So I feel this is a good opportunity for me to delve into this particular social phenomenon. Certainly,
0: certainly, yeah. Yeah, I you know, I think it's very interesting because a lot of experts, right, you know, when they've studied the area of branding, when they've studied marketing and advertising, I think in the social sciences, people usually look at it in terms of psychology, right? And I think not so much research has been done in sociology. So, you know, I think, I'd, um, you know, I'd like to know a little bit about these structures and stuff, you know, from like an alternate lens that you're addressing uh, as a part of your research.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, uh, I should mention that my interest in marketing from a sociological perspective. It started when, when I was doing my undergrad in sociology, as I mentioned before. Um, specifically, it started right after I watched the TV series, Madman, um, which tells the story of an advertising agency in, in New York during the 60s. Uh, so while I was watching this series, I realized that advertising work is not that different from what we do in social sciences, I would say. In that sense, uh, advertisers have to observe and analyze the social to construct communication strategies and to create uh, narratives that make sense among people. So, I remember discussing this uh, the series with one of my of my professors during my, my undergrad, and we both agreed that uh, maybe it was the most philosophical series that we've ever watched. So, in parallel, I started to delve into literature on economic sociology and cultural sociology. And I found out um, that there were some studies on the field of advertising, particularly in the UK and the US, but there were just a few papers on the case of Latin American children. Um, Also, I I realized that most of the sociological work on marketing, um, advertising in particular, was mainly focused on the analysis of adverts and advertising campaigns from a semiotic approach. Which was influenced by some of the work made by the Frankfurt School uh, on consumer culture during the post-war period. So, in this way, I don't know essays like uh, the the culture the, the cultural industry by Adorno and Horkheimer were fundamental for on the one hand on the one hand um, characterizing advertising as an essential ideological device for the functional functioning of the capitalist economy, mm-hmm. and on the other hand articulating a critical approach to interpret uh, the circulation of meanings and symbolic values attached to consumption practices. So
0: um,
1: I think that the problem with these approaches is that they were mainly foc- uh, they were mainly based on a structural and social historical analysis of advertising within the context of 20th century capitalism, which obviously is helpful for understanding the political and ideological role of marketing, but doesn't say anything about the specific mechanisms by which marketing practices allow for legitimizing and reproducing reproducing certain behaviors among society. So um, in other words, the Frankfurt School and the semiotic School identified advertising as an ideological apparatus, I would say, that administrate the needs of the people through different forms of domination, but they didn't deepen into the specific strategies by which marketers and advertisers generate these forms of domination in their everyday practices. So considering this, I decided to to follow uh, what I would call a more Foucauldian approach uh, Mm -hmm. from the perspective of Michel Foucault, of course, uh, for addressing my research, which for me implied unveiling the techniques and mechanisms through which people working for marketing settings exercise power and reproduce meanings and behaviors. So as you can notice, such a perspective is inevitably attached to cultural studies as the reproduction of practices and discourses from marketing and advertising comprises conceiving of them as activities that shape and legitimize cultural expressions. So in, in this way, I conducted my undergrad and my master dissertation on the role of emotions and culture in advertising practices in Chile and in the UK, respectively, um, with the aim of deepening into how advertisers legitimize certain lifestyles and how emotions play a key role in these processes.
0: Certainly, yeah, yeah. You know, in fact, it reminds me a little bit um, of a course that I had, uh, you know, taken uh, last year on on um, on critical theory. You know, and I think we had done this mm-hmm. one book by Donovan Hokheimer Horkheimer on the culture industry. And I remember the first couple of chapters, right, they say some very interesting things about how the entire, with like the advent of industrialization and everything, the world has been, they use the words, it's been infected by a sort of sameness. It's like everything is just identical, it's like not different, right? But I think, you know, like I don't really see that, you know, happening today because, you know, I think if you look at things on a surface level, all the brands you see are so different, they're so vibrant, they're so colorful. So it seems like you have so many options but like these scholars right they're telling you the exact opposite they're saying you know like you don't have any options at all because everything is the same when you look at it from a scholarly you know like lens right i think i just like know a little bit as you know like what you think about that you know and any thoughts that you may have on on this contrast
1: yeah no i I totally agree with what you said about this kind of thing that these whole marketing devices generate in some way uh, we we could say that this reproduction of meanings and behaviors is a it's also like a, a form of normalization, uh, again, in, in, in Foucault's terms, you know, like they are trying to standardize um, the way that we relate to each other and the way as we consume in order to, to reduce uncertainty, I would say. like They need to reduce uncertainty to guarantee that there are going to be uh, certain market exchanges. And from guaranteeing this functioning of the economy, this functioning of the market, you need to create a seamless culture and a standardized culture or a normalized culture I prefer, right?
0: Certainly, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think um, I'd also like to inquire a little bit into, you know, you'd mentioned that you've taken some insights from like Foucault as well, regarding the exercising of power and all that, right? I'd like to know a little bit as to, you know, how exact a lot of his ideas and power really apply to the marketing and branding industry from what you've observed.
1: Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's a tough question, I I, I must say. Um, it's not easy because in some way, I think from social sciences, it's kind of a common sense to to reaffirm this thesis by Adorno-Holheimer, like stating, yes, advertising is an ideological device or an ideological approach, to, which is functional to capitalism, because in some way, it it reproduces the meanings that as, as I mentioned before, allow us for consuming in the ways that the market needs needs us for consume, right? But yeah, in 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 terms of Foucault, that could be understood in terms of biopolitics or biopower in the same in the way that they need to carry out forms subjectification. They need to produce a certain subject which incorporates in their mindset specific ways of how they should Satisfy their particular needs, right? So, in terms of Foucault, that's clearly that could be conceived as a form of uh, exercise of power and reproduction of biopolitics. But at the same time, I think it's very interesting today to analyze how the whole social media phenomenon of how people are influencing with their opinions, with their tweets, with their comments on what advertising or marketing should be, it's starting to challenge in some way what we conceive of a approach because it's not like a one-way dialogue. It's yeah. not only as it was like, I don't know, 20 years ago. We, we were like the, the audience, with the, the public, that we're, that, and we were hearing what the marketing agencies or advertising agencies were saying to us. And we didn't have like the right to respond, to respond right. back, right? But today we have some kind of voice that challenges marketing practices, as they now need to adapt themselves. They need to adapt their messages, their communication strategies to the to public opinion. And I think social media it's uh, it's like a game a game changer, te- I would say, in this process. So uh, regarding your, your question, um, I, I can talk about a, a little bit more when I introduce my my dissertation topic, if you want, but. I think it's not easy to just say like in a raw way, like, yeah, this is an expression of power from a biopolitical perspective. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple. It's not black or white. You know what I mean?
0: Certainly. You know, I think also when you look at the world of marketing, branding, advertising, it's it's a pretty huge field. So, you know, can you maybe, you know, like walk me through how you chose the topic and, you know, like what your you know, like process was in terms of, you know, like choosing a topic and arriving at a dissertation?
1: Yeah, well... Um, I'd like to say that my project starts from a question that it is unable to answer, uh, which is to what extent is contemporary capitalism organized by the intervention of emotions? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that such an inquiry inevitably surpasses the scope of action of doctoral research in sociology, as addressing uh, such a question would imply first relinquishing of an empirical approach uh, to the understanding of capitalism, adopting opting step for a more philosophical or abstract examination, or second, recurring to a long-lasting and probably multinational investigation, which addresses uh, the economic, cultural, historical, and social aspects of capitalism in several countries, to generate theoretical generalizations regarding the rule of motions in the capitalist economy. So, And, and also, this question conceals an implicit historical comparison, right, as referring to a Contemporary capitalism entails assuming the existence of a preceding version Mm
0: -hmm. from which
1: the former is differentiated and defined but by difference. So implying therefore the need of of, for a historical examination. So in this sense, questioning how emotions organize contemporary capitalism Mm -hmm. uh, comprises a bold enterprise that uh, I think exceeds the capacities of a doctoral research project. So Considering this kind of epistemological and practical limitations, I decided to limit my research to the case of marketing in Western capitalism from which it would be possible to start delineating such a big, or huge endeavor as it is studying the role of emotions in contemporary capitalism. So, however, uh, marketing is composed by the intervention of several processes and practices we already know such as advertising, uh, PR, like public relations, I mean, branding among others, which is why focusing on marketing still supposes will unwieldy effort. So in order to outline a feasible empirical study, I decided to conduct my investigation around the phenomenon of branding in the UK. Mm. So my research explores the connections between emotions, culture, and the economy within the framework of marketing practices, focusing particularly on the case of London-based branding consultants. So this decision of delimiting the research to, uh, to London is based upon three reasons. Uh, first, London has been considered a kind of global epicenter of, uh, for creative industries, as Angela McRobbie has said before, and particularly of those related to marketing practices, Also, second, I would say uh, the preliminary findings that I've made suggest that the most important and influencing branding consultancies are located in the English capital, Mm -hmm. being more representative of the whole British industry. And third, um, the emergence of branding is directly related to the development of the so-called creative advertising in the UK, which is why I believe that the study of the British marketing industry is one of the best options for getting into the foundations of branding work. So in this way, a kind of broad research question that guide my project would be how emotions mediate the relation between culture and the economy in branding work. And this observation, is grounded on the premise that the instrumentalization of emotions in branding constitutes an example of the increasing intervention of non rational elements in the framing of markets in contemporary capitalism, which I believe is a more narrow way to approach mm-hmm. or to start answering that very first question that I mentioned before yeah. that I cannot answer yet <laughs> you know I, I hope I can answer it in, uh, that question in the future you know but i I feel it it kind of escapes to the scope of a four year uh, research project,
0: right certainly yeah yeah definitely you know i think um it's interesting because you know i think something your research also mentions is the whole you know like cultural mediation process um you know i think i'd like you to maybe you know explain a little bit as you know like what it means and you know the implications it has for your research as well
1: yeah well the, the concept of cultural intermediaries or cultural mediation as, as i prefer to use it uh, it's interesting because it's not, it's not a, a very uh, renowned concept in sociology. It's been studied quite recently in the last 20 years, which is not a lot in social sciences history. But it's funny to think that this concept was first coined by Bourdieu uh, in his book, Distinction. Mm-hmm. And he used that this concept to refer to a broad range of professionals which were related to cultural production and creative work, he said. Such as advertisers, marketers, designers, PRs, journalists. Uh, he also mentions TV producers and, mm-hmm. and so on. So he refers to those occupations that are responsible for the divulgation of consumption goods, uh, the mm-hmm. creation of wants, and the reproduction of needs. Um, as they have the function of socializing and legitimizing material and symbolic goods, uh, symbolic goods that constitute lifestyles in, in Bourdieu's terms. So, Cultural intermediaries are understood uh, more recently, like yeah, after Bourdieu, as taste makers or arbiters of taste, as they implicate consumerist disposition through the shaping of consumer tastes. So, in this way, the, concept- the conception of branding consultants as cultural intermediaries inevitably entails the characterization of advertising, uh, of branding, I mean, as a process of cultural mediation. And I believe that identifying these practitioners under these sociological categories constitutes an important step towards an evaluation of the relationship between emotions, culture, and the economy within the framework of marketing practices. This is because cultural intermediaries are fundamental at the time of bridging or mediating the processes of production and consumption, evidencing the impossibility of disseminating the economy from cultural practices, or what uh, Mark Granover. Mark Grano better I mean, coined as the embeddedness of economic action in social relations. So, I feel this concept is, is very helpful to to understand also what Lismore understands as the work of culturalization performed by the intermediaries in cultural cultural industries. This uh, like secondary concept of work of culturalization refers to the process by which cultural intermediaries. Grasp culture or, or cultural expressions and produce their own conceptions of what culture is in order to articulate communication strategies, for example. So in this process culture, an abstract thing, we could say, is continuously interpreted and redefined according to the meanings that intermediaries conceive as legitimate and valuable Showing that the process of cultural mediation entails the production and performance of cultural categories that shape society. So, yeah, we could say, and following what Liz Moore uh, posited a few years ago, branding consultants can be conceptualized as cultural intermediaries, considering that brands and branding organize economic activity through a great array of communicative, communicative and informational material. Uh, in order to give physical form to abstract values and concepts, and to influence most, most of all, the the perceptions and behaviors of consumers. So, so yeah, that's why I chose uh, I chose this concept to to guide my theoretical framework. I would say.
0: Right, right, yeah, and uh, you know, I think what's interesting about culture as an entity, right, as an abstract entity that we understand it is because it's you know that it's made up of all of these other components right like there's race there's class there's gender and all of that sort of makes up culture you know and I think when brands use it they're sort of tapping into what um, people from these categories can relate to right so you know I think in that sense I'd like to know a little bit as to whether there are any such social structures of you know race or class or gender that you think certain brands utilize more than others and whether you know that um is predominant in culture or not
1: yeah of course i mean if you analyze the studies like the sociological studies on advertising uh, during the uh, the second half of the 20th century for example you can see that the gender factor was a fundamental thing for advertisers i mean one of the first examples of how emotions were rendered and used and instrumentalized, I would, I would say, by advertisers uh, was these kind of magazines that they used to sell to housewives in the US during the 50s of the, or, or the 60s. So in that way, they recognized uh, women as a consumer agent that was not being addressed before. They decided to conduct all the communication strategies uh, considering this difference of how I should communicate, I as an advertiser should communicate to a woman uh, instead of a man mm-hmm. um, but I think nowadays that gender notion has changed uh also because of the ra- of the the new rising of feminism. gendered advertising is not uh, seen in the same way as before um and I think it's very interesting to look out of how uh, class as an element, as you as you said before, um intervenes in these processes. I don't know, in the in the um, in the research that I conducted in Chile before, I realized that advertisers identified Chilean people as an aspirational society, they say. Like uh people that are always looking for social mobility, for mm-hmm. aspirating to ascending in social and class terms, so in that way, advertising messages should uh, should address this problem and look that, yeah, if you consume our, our products, if you consume this specific brand, you're going to be more similar to the upper class, you're going to be uh, re- um, reproducing the conducts and behaviors that are usually associated to the upper class, so Um, we can see how this legitimization or reproduction of lifestyles, as as Bourdieu would say, certainly responds uh, to a class element, right? Advertisers are not alien to these categories. Maybe they don't have necessarily a whole bunch of research and papers to look out like how actually class works in a certain society, but they have a common sense of their own life experiences. That say okay, I know how to communicate for to someone who is from a working class background mm-hmm. uh, instead of to someone who comes from an um, upper middle class background right mm-hmm. um, of course, all kind of elements that define the social and particularly the cultural are intervening intervening in in advertising work and in branding work, of course. I, I'm telling more of advertising right now because I have the findings in my hand and I've done that research. I'm still working on on branding consult, consultants. So I don't want to be like uh, non rigorous at the time of uh, presenting my findings, right?
0: Right, right. Not It's interesting because, you know, I think a lot of what advertisers do, right? You know, I think, um, as you mentioned, you know, I think I'd like to pick up on that one point that you said that advertisers are human too, right? You know, they can connect with their own experiences and I think that sort of helps them, you know, like connect like the consumer as well. And I think, you know, along those lines and like, you know, a little bit as to um, how emotions are understood and maybe even, you know, like manipulated by brands to build brand identities and how, you know, it like connects, you know to like the consumer as well.
1: Yeah, sure, well, following, Eva Iluz's assertions, Eva Iluz is, is a very important sociologist now, and that's working on the sociology of emotions, um, following her assertions, I think that branding, cultural mediation cannot be understood without considering the influence of emotion as social dispositions in the work of branding practitioners, uh, in Iluz's work, uh, culture and economy produce each other only after a cultural process in which emotions are objectified, labeled, and integrated. So. This is concordant with the increasing importance of emotionality in the development of, for example, advertising practices again in the last decades, Since the 80s, uh, marketing researchers uh, have problematized the role of emotions
0: Mm. in
1: consumption uh, practices based on the idea that feelings are more influential over purchasing decisions compared to rationality. And this is like a, a very controversial topic, not only in market research, but also in behavioral psychology, for example. So, one of the first antecedents of the emotionalization of marketing practices was the development of diverse techniques to measure the emotional response of consumers to advertisements during the 80s, as marketer, market researchers discovered that emotional affective inputs had more influence on purchasing decisions and rationality. So, in this manner, emotionally laden messages started to be conceived as the best way to strengthen the relationship between brands and consumers, which inaugurated a new approach to conducting marketing practices around non-rational settings Mm -hmm. that determine consumption dispositions. So uh, since then, marketers, advertisers, and branding consultants have contributed to the conception of consumers as emotional entities, we can say. Um, and, and that's why Evelius says, like, this makes consumption into an emotional act and legitimizing, and legitimizes different expressions of culture through consumption practices. So emotions have become an essential element for the design of communication strategies in the hands of marketing practitioners who, who understood the indispensable function of emotionality and affectivity at the time of triggering consumption experiences. So in this way, the work performed by branding practitioners has been conceived by marketing researchers as an endeavor necessarily attached to the formation of emotional ties. As the strongest brands are based on strong beliefs and values that engage consumers on a deep emotional level, and from which it would be possible to create a connection between a brand and a customer. Right. So this understanding of branding work um, as an emotionally driven activity has been stressed by several CEOs and the heads of the most renowned branding consultants worldwide. An example of this is one of the assertions made by Maurice Levi, which is the chairman of the publicist group, which is one of the most important marketing holdings in the world. And he says that, and, and I quote, Consumers who make decisions based purely on facts represent a very small minority of the world's population, as the vast majority of the population consumes and shops with their mind and their heart, or if you prefer, prefer their emotions. This is super interesting because, in this sense, as uh, as Arvin Arvidsson says, uh, branding cannot be detached from the immaterial, the experiential, and the emotional elements that mediate their relationship between brands and people, and enable the former to produce a surplus value from the interaction with their customers. In accordance to this, uh, most of the authors that have analyzed branding from a sociological perspective agree on the pivotal role of emotions in branding processes. However, none of them has deepened into this specific mechanisms by which branding practitioners make use of emotional resources in their everyday work to elicit certain feelings on consumers. So because of this, in order to fill this gap, if I can say, I I aim to excavate into how branding consultants frame and conceptualize emotions and what are the mechanisms of calculation to elicit specific, specific emotional responses in the audience. And I believe that this would allow for problematizing the mode in which emotions are used not only as means to connect with an audience, Mm -hmm. but also as instruments to regulate what Scrivano, an Argentinian sociologist, would call the construction of social sensibility. They do this to mobilize consumers by forming connections between their feelings and Mm -hmm. very specific features of goods associated to consumption practices. So... The inquiry on the place that emotions occupy in branding's cultural mediation implicitly involves questioning how culture is interpreted and defined through the work of branding practitioners and what's the role of emotion in these processes.
0: Right. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I think um, to sort of connect a lot of, you know, what you've said about, I think, emotion specifically to, you know, the fieldwork as well. Right. Um, I think London is a very interesting site because, you know, it's a very heterogeneous society. And I think in that sense, it may be a little bit more challenging for brands as well, you know, because I think you're targeting people of, you know, all of these different backgrounds, races and values, right? So I think I'd like to know a little bit as how you can look at it from a critical sort of lens, you know, like when you're examining consumer base that London has, you know, of these brands tailored their values and their ideals towards the said consumer base.
1: Well, that's a very good question, actually, because um, I think that's still a challenge to, for marketing practitioners today, um, especially in London, which, as you said, is a very multicultural city. It's not necessarily like the proper definition of a British city, right? But it's interesting because in some way, um, I know this particularly on the case of, of advertisers in London, which was the, the topic of my master dissertation. It seems that marketing practitioners are trying to generalize the British ethos at the time of communicating to the whole United Kingdom and, of course, to London, right? And in that sense, I'm not sure to what extent they are trying to differentiate between the different backgrounds or, I don't know, different kind of immigrants, for example, that exist in London that we know there are a lot, I mean... You walk in London and you can listen to three different uh, languages. You see people from very different cultures uh, interacting with each other. And in that way, I feel that it's not casual that creative advertising uh, was created here in the UK, because in some way they always, or not, not always, but in, in the last 50 years, I would say, uh, British marketing practitioners were always challenged by this necessity of communicating in general terms. But anyway, they, they still remark the importance of attending to the British culture when communicating. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know, one of the findings that I had is, was, that, was that humor was a fundamental element at the time of communicating to the British audience because they understand that British people are always super influenced by humor and the capacity of making jokes. And they say, yeah, humor sticks in people's minds. And that's why we need to use that resource because our messages are going to stick in their minds our, and the relationships that we, create, we can create with, with, between brands and customers can be stronger because of it. But it, it feels like they're still communicating to the British subject, not necessarily mm. to this multicultural subject, which is every day more, uh, more common around Europe, right? So um, it's a very interesting question because I think in some way, uh, not even them are completely aware of how to address this mm. new multicultural scenario that defines the British society, for example.
0: Right. And, you know, I think to sort of tie this back into, you know, something that you'd mentioned earlier on in the interview as well, right? You said that your research has been based in both the UK as as well as in Chile. So I think I'd like to know a little bit as to, you know, if you're comparing the two places, you know, are there any, you know, like differences or similarities and, you know, things that you found interesting on that front based on your field work in both of these sites?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, there are similarities and, and differences because, there are it happens that most of the advertising campaigns that you can see in Chile. i don't know if you turn on the tv or you or you listen to the radio you will notice that most of the campaigns are imported from europe or the us Mm -hmm. so i think in some way the the whole phenomenon of globalization of course has permeated uh marketing practices and in that way it's been I, I would like to say i don't know if it's necessarily the more rigorous term, but there there has been a kind of colonization of the meanings that are um, that are circulated through marketing messages today and in that in, in that way I, I I would say that if you study for example uh, marketing practices in the u s or in Europe in general, you will have a kind of Broad notion of how marketing works worldwide, mm-hmm. but of course there are there are differences between them, and, and maybe the biggest difference that I noticed was that advertising messages, for example, in Chile are more uh, influenced by the class component mm-hmm. in the in the way as I mentioned before, like. They and they identify the Chilean society as a very rational society that are always looking for social mobility, and in that way they they need to show to the people the or reproduce the meanings that are related, or or that people think that are related to the upper classes to the upper classes lifestyles. And when I when I started my investigation here in the UK, I thought that I would find similar. Uh, findings around these class components in, mark- in, in advertising practices, but I was surprised that it wasn't that important as I, 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 will, I would think before. Um, in that way, I would say that they rely more upon emotions mm-hmm. because they understand that there, there are some uh, general or common meanings that are related at the time of communicating from an emotional background. In that sense, like, I, I remember one of, of the phrases that one of the advertisers told me when I was doing an interview, and, and, and she said, love is love in any part of the world. Love is love in Chile or in the UK. Like, the feeling is still the same. Maybe the meanings attached to it will change. But in some way, if you communicate through emotions, you know that you can generate like a common, a common ground at the time of making sense into people's minds. So in that way, I think it's not casual that UK's advertisers are more interested in in fostering an emotional message rather than a, a message uh, influenced by the class component as it happens in Chile and in other countries of Latin America.
0: Certainly. You know, I think um, on a surface level, right? I mean, I've not done research, but I think uh, something I would also speculate is that there are histories that both of these countries carry, right? I think, you know, like Chile, of course, has a history of, you know, being in Latin America, you know, there are, you know, histories of, you know, like colonization and all of that, right? So, you know, I think I'd like to know a little bit as to whether the histories of, you know, a developed and a developing country has sort of played a role into how, you know, like the people perceive themselves or. Where the brands have ever played into that? Has it been a part of your research? I think I'd like to know a little bit more about that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's interesting because, in some way, the, the difference between developed countries and underdeveloped countries or in the process of developing is that um, more of the, the most majority of advertising agencies or marketing companies come from the first world. So Mm -hmm. for example, uh, of course, I can talk of the case of Chile because it's it's what I'm familiar with. But in the case of Chile, it happens that the most important advertising agencies are exactly the same than in the UK and the US. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, like Macan or Saatchi and Saatchi, like all the big agencies are mostly present worldwide. Or I don't know if in, in, in all the countries, but in most of the countries. And in that way, it happens this phenomenon that I mentioned that uh, kind of colonization of meanings from marketing practices. But I think it responds to some way, I mean, on the one hand to globalization, of course, um, but also to the influence of foreign capital in development of underdeveloped countries, right? So I'm not sure how advertisers would respond to this question but me as a sociologist i would say that there's a kind of class component but from a different from a different perspective i mean underdeveloped countries want to be similar to developed countries like china is always looking to the us it's always looking to europe because they say yeah that's the, that's the kind of country that we want to be like we mm-hmm. want to be like the us we want to be we want to have the lifestyle of the people living in europe yeah. so in some ways we need to reproduce the meanings that are associated to what does it mean to live a life in the UK, for example? And that's also like a class component, right? I mean, it's, it's like the first world people, uh, first world countries, people is like the, the upper class and the underdeveloped people are the working class, right? And the working class is trying to imitate the lifestyle of the upper class. I don't know if that's the best response that I could give you, but I think that it's, it's a kind of, it's a problem of, a social a cultural problem of course and it's also an economic problem because mm-hmm. in some way underdeveloped countries rely upon the intervention of foreign capital and with that I mean the intervention of international marketing holdings at
0: right. the time
1: of constructing their own uh, marketing messages right
0: right yeah certainly and you know I think whenever we talk about um, you know advertising branding and you know, all of that, I think um, it all sort of comes under the larger umbrella term of capitalism right now, you know, the more you work, you know, the, so I think in the, in the end, it all sort of boils down to, you know, how much money can you make? How profitable are these brands and, you know, and are these companies? So I think along those lines, like, you know, a little bit as to, you know, whether you've looked at any other existing, you know, um, like publications or like research that look at capitalism and, how exactly you know a lot of like the work that you're doing has you know like related to it or like fitted into it.
1: Yeah well um, I could say that um, following again what Adam Arvidsson says brands have become, become structuring elements of our everyday life mm-hmm. um, generating therefore a sociocultural influence and colonizing what Habermas would call the life world So this can be observed, for example, in the growing importance of lifestyle branding, through which marketing practitioners reproduce and legitimize practices and meanings that constitute lifestyles or modes of existence. And in this regard, addressing the study of branding processes from a sociological and a critical perspective, I think it's fundamental to comprehend how capitalism structures markets and reproduces consumption dispositions, which redefine intersections between culture and economy. So in these processes, I believe it is important to reflect in terms of, of Michel Foucault, again, on the different expressions of governmentality and the exertion of an exertion of biopower, maybe that allow to create and manage and control populations through emotional mechanisms. So for me, this research constitutes uh, the first step, maybe, in the framing of a research program that questions the role of immaterial values and emotional resonances in their articulation of social practices and meanings within contemporary capitalism. Which could, we can say that that complements in some way not only the research program of the Frankfurt School, but also the recent studies from economic sociology mm-hmm. and cultural studies in relation to the social role of emotions. I have to make a contribution to this whole uh, field of, of sociological research that, exists in, that has been existed in the, in the last 20 years in, around marketing practices or around the cultural meanings that are attached to market exchanges.
0: Well, of course, yeah. And during the course of your research, has there been anything in particular that has stood out to you that has surprised you that you think is uh, noteworthy of mentioning?
1: Yeah, well, as I mentioned before, like I'm I'm out to start my second year of, of the PhD, so I'm in the process of doing the field work, interviewing people and and negotiating ethnographic observations within branding consultancies. But I think it wouldn't be rigorous or strictly rigorous to to mention findings that I haven't completely analyzed or 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 having compared I haven't compared yet uh, with different companies but i can tell you about my hypothesis that i think as as i already studied this phenomenon before uh i just think could be quite uh, demonstrated in some way and which is that i believe that emotions are instrumentalized by branding practitioners according to what more denominate uh, denominates a work of culturalization as i mentioned before this work of culturalization mobilizes uh, consumers according to the prevailing social sensibilities in a specific cultural milieu i say so i believe that this process necessarily comprises the interpretation of culture according to the practices and discourses of consumers which are rendered and categorized through the deployment of analytical techniques and cultural calculations. Um, So in this way, I believe that the the brand can be conceptualized as an emotional interface that mediates the social experience as it introduces some qualitative possibility into the abstraction of what emotions and experiences are in the context of marketing practices. And some of the interviews that I've made uh, with branding practitioners show that, I don't know, for example, research on the cultural is fundamental to strategists at the time of uh, designing communication strategies. And this not only happens in branding consultancies but also in advertising agencies, right. And they also know, they identify uh, emotions as a key, as as a key element at the time of communicating, as they know that emotions help to engage and create loyalty because it helps to stick in people's minds. So I remember one of the, of, of the interviewees uh, mentioned uh, something like, we are trying to build brands around emotional needs and mindset instead of based around demographic needs, for example. Mm-hmm. So they conceive of emotions as related to a kind of universal human truth or even to the notion of being more human. And I think this is super interesting because in some way they understand that emotions are, I mean, to create like a more broad or general message that could be communicated here in the UK, or maybe in Argentina, maybe in South Africa or in different countries, because yeah, emotions are attached to cultural meanings. I'm aware of it, but at the same time, uh, there are like a common component of how we feel, of how we experiment certain emotions as love, as fear, as anxiety, uh, shame, etc. You know, so it's very interesting to see and to corroborate that these conceptions, this conception of emotions, of social dispositions appear in the discourse of branding consultants, even more than in advertisers, I would say. So I think that could be like uh, the first thing that I could uh, say in advance about my fan- my findings. But I, as I mentioned before, I still need to continue my field work and see what's going to arise from it, right? Uh,
0: certainly, I think um, uh, a final question that you know I would like to ask you is. Whether at any point you have felt that, you know, your own background or, or identity or experiences may have influenced either the way you perceive data or your approach to research, your access to resources, any of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a kind of tricky question, right? Because it's, it's a bit personal, <laughs> but uh, I, I understand the importance of doing this kind of situated knowledge at the, the time of addressing social research. And in that way, for me, it's been very challenging to, to know that I'm a foreign, um, that I'm not like a British student may, uh, doing social research in the UK. But no, I'm from abroad. Um, English is not my mother tongue. It's, I'm not a native in English. So in that sense, I think that uh, that poses the challenge of how I'm going to communicate with branding practitioners, which can be associated to a kind of elite occupation in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I need to manage the different social codes at the time of talking to them and at the time of generating what anthropologists called rapport, like generating this bond uh, based on trust on, on, on a kind of loyalty mm-hmm. to, To to get some meanings from them, I mean, I'm I'm analyzing their discourses, I'm analyzing uh, their practices, and for doing that, I need to manage the different codes related to humor, to small talk, in order to generate a relationship with them. So in that way, I'm a non-British, I'm non-white, and in that way, I I could say that I'm I'm in a bit of a powerless position compared to the majority of people working in branding, which I would say are generally British white people, I think that's maybe related to the challenges that uh, influence my research process. And on the other hand, I should mention that I come from a very politicized background because of the of my country's history, my family history, and I think it's necessary to it's necessary to do it from from a critical perspective because we know that marketing plays a pivotal role in the configuration and organization of contemporary capitalism. So um, I I think that such a question, such a research project is not detached from an ideological background. So I I think that that are maybe the two more important elements that I could mention.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely, you know, I think that's what makes sociology as a field of study so interesting, right? You always play a role. I think that's something I find interesting. Um, yeah, I think you know that's about it. We've exhausted our time for today. So thank you so much, Nicholas, for taking out the time today. I really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, that's about it. Wonderful. Do you have any questions for me or is there anything, you know, any closing comments, any final thing you'd like to say?
1: No, no, that was very funny. And thank you again for having me.
0: Sure. Thank you so much and take care and goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do consider subscribing and sharing it along. Apart from Anchor, which is our main hosting platform, you can catch us on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Republic, and Spotify. If you're on Twitter, then be sure to follow the handle research Down for further updates or just to get in touch.